And good morning, listeners, and welcome back to Sacred Space 102 FM. My name is Shane Ambrose. Delighted to have you here this morning with us here on West Limerick 102. So this morning, we are going to travel across the Atlantic Ocean, and we are going all the way to the Diocese of Wichita in uh, the U.S. of A., and we're talking to Father John Potsy. Good morning, Father John. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Right, so the, first thing, the first thing I have to ask you is, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> the Diocese of Wichita is the the southeast corner or the south southeast quarter of the state of Kansas. Um, if you think of the U- United States, um, if you just put a put a pin right in the middle of the United States, that's pretty close to where we're at. Very good, very good. We're delighted to have you on the program this morning. And the reason we're heading all the way across the Atlantic this morning to have this conversation is we're talking about an interesting gentleman who's was in the news recently in the US of A. And that is a man that is that is called Father Emile Capon. And Father Emile is from Kansas, he's from the diocese, and he's an interesting story that Father John is going to talk to us about this morning. Now the reason he popped up on my news feed is of course that uh his remains were recently recovered because he was uh well Father John, why don't you tell us his story? Who is Emile Capon, and why are we interested in hearing about him this morning? All right, great. Um, Father Emile Capon was a priest of the Diocese of Wichita. Um, and if I can, I'll start at the end, or what we've just been working on now. Um, he was a, a chaplain in the Korean conflict, um, and he passed away in a prisoner war camp in 1951. And... At first, we believed that his remains were buried in a mass grave along the Yalu River, uh, which is the river that separates North Korea and China. Um, we have since found, or th- while, while we were investigating his life, some things came to light, uh, and we found out that he was not buried in one of these mass graves, that he was buried away from that. Uh, and then it started. we started to investigate that, and we found out that his remains could very well be back in the United States, that they had been returned to the United States after the war, um, and that he was could be buried in uh, what was called, what is called the Pence Bowl, which is a national cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii, um, a, a military cemetery. Um, so we started doing an investigation, and the, go- the government, uh, Department of Defense, um, has been working trying to identify unknown soldiers uh, there that are interred there uh, at this national cemetery. Uh, and it just so happened that they found Father Capon's remains in the cemetery. Uh, so this is 70 years after he passed away that, that, that we found his remains and that he'll be returning back to Kansas. Now, okay, the U.S. has a very has a very strong tradition, particularly in its military, of they don't leave anyone behind, and particularly for those that are called MIA, missing in action. So, in one sense, the fact that you know Father Capon's remains have been found and are being brought home to Kansas is great. But I suppose my listeners are going to be sitting there this morning, and they're going to be saying, "So, what has that got to do with me sitting in West Limerick? What's the big deal?" The big deal is Father Capon. I believe, is a a perfect saint for our times. Mm. Um, When you look at his life, uh, when you look at what he did, um, we see that he died in service to his fellow prisoners in the prisoner war camp. Um, But you can't just look at that as his life. Um, He lived his entire life in service to others. Uh, one One of the men that I 
uh, interviewed um, while investigating his cause for canonization uh, was a man named Phil O'Brien, who worked for the Department of Defense. And his task was to identify everybody that had died in this prisoner war camp. Um, in this prisoner war camp, there were 3,000 people that were interred there, and 1,600 of them died. Uh, so that was 65% of them died in the prisoner war camp. So he literally interviewed everybody that he could find that was alive from the prisoner war camp uh, to try to determine who was there. And this Phil O'Brien not, is not a Catholic. And he started hearing stories about Father Capon and his service to his fellow men in the POW camp. And when I first started to interview him, he said, Father Hotze, I am not a, I'm not a Catholic, and, but I do believe that if there's anybody that is a saint, it's Father Capon. Uh, because of the amazing things he did in the prisoner war camp. But I said to him then, I said, well, he did do amazing things in the POW camp, but I think you have to look at his life earlier because he began his service well before the prisoner war camp. Uh, mm. He began his service when he was ordained a priest, but then you can say he uh, began his service when he was growing up there in the small town of Pilsen, Kansas. Uh, as he would ride his bike to go serve mass at, at the, his local church. Um, he was of service on the farm when he grew up. Um, he grew up in the 1920s and 1930s here in the United States, which was in the midst of the Great Depression. Um, so he spent his time uh, building, a, uh, for example, building a chicken coop so that they could raise chickens uh, so that they could have eggs for his family, so that he could supply their neighbors with eggs. Um, he was just uh, an all-around good guy. And when you look at what he did, and you look at his humble beginnings, you see that he did all of this and had nothing. Um, he has received the um, Medal of Honor, which is the highest uh, honor that the military pays to any man. Uh, we just received word that he's going to receive the equivalent of the Medal of Honor uh, from the South Korean government uh, in July. Um, and so we see the, the, the great things that he did, the great things that he's being acknowledged for. And he was just a Kansas farm boy. Um, I, love it. I, I, love, I love the way you said that. He was just a Kansas farm boy. And I suppose that, for me, is one of the, the kings about this story, which really strikes me about it. Because like you said... You know, in a in a in a technical sense, what we're saying is we want we're, we're, the, we're the the diocese is saying to the church, this is a man who could be a saint and an example for the world. So what so at the moment we're going through the formal process that the church has for deciding if a person is a saint. So at the moment, Father Capon is what we call is it a servant of God? He's uh, a servant of God. God, right? And then the next couple of step, the next step is venerable, then beatification, where you're declared a blessed, and then canonization, where you're declared a saint. So, from an Irish from an Irish perspective, if people were trying to figure out servant of God, well, who's that? In an Irish context, current examples there at the moment would be Frank Duff, the founder of the Legion of Mary, um, who, who's who, 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 so they're on they'd be on the same step in terms of the overall process. But in terms of in terms of it, uh, Father Capon's story, I, I love that idea that simple farm boy who became a priest and went on to serve in the U.S. military. Now, of course, it's an interesting thing. Um, in military sense, it's slightly different between Ireland and the U.S. because in Ireland, our chaplains are chaplains to the forces. That's their, that's their rank. But in the, but in the U.S., 
the chaplains are actually ranked. They they, they carry right. rank in the U.S. Army. So he was serving. He was he was uh, he, he he. When did he join up? Well, he first served in World War Two. Um, mm. He served in in um, India and Burma in World War Two, um, and then after World War Two, he came back home to the United States. Um, the bishop had had him go and study at Catholic University of America. Uh, where he got a degree in history and a degree in education. Um, so then he came back and he was assigned as pastor of his home parish. Um, but then the military um, uh, sent out a call and asked for chaplains to consider to re-enlist because they were sort of chaplains, uh, especially where, when things started to happen over in the Far East and in Korea. Um, they look like they, they seem that they were needing, they were going to have some needs. Um, and um, so Father Capon asked the bishop if he could return to the military. At first, the bishop ignored him. Um, <laughs> and Father Capon uh, didn't let that, that stop him. So he asked about six months later. And finally, the bishop acquiesced and told him that he could go back to the service. Um, just one interesting story. Um, uh, when he rejoined the service or rejoined the military, he was sent to uh, Fort Bliss, Texas. And Fort Bliss is in West Texas, which is basically desert area. The, the, the base had been, most of the base had been closed after World War II. Uh, so he was assigned to a, a, a little cabin to live in. Um, they said that the, the dirt or dust in the, his cabin was knee high. So he had to, he literally had to dig out the cabin to, to go into. But anyway, as he was assigned, assigned back there, um, a, a man named Osra Barkley was uh, drafted again, or he was called back into service. And when he got to Fort Bliss, Texas, he was told that he was going to have to bunk with a Catholic chaplain. And Osra was, a, uh, was an Episcopalian. And he said, no, that he wouldn't do it. And they told him, they said, well, we don't have any other place. He said, you're either bunking with the Catholic chaplain or you're going to bunk in the, or you're going to sleep in the gutter. Um, so he said he resigned himself and he went to the, the, the cabin. He said he opened the door to the cabin and he said what was staring him in the face, but a, a huge picture of the Virgin Mary. <laughs> so he thought... What have I gotten myself into? And but uh, by by the time uh, he he did not go to Korea while Father Capon did, uh, but by the time they left each other um, or they they were separated, uh, with Father Capon going to Korea, uh, he had brought Osra into the church and he'd witnessed his marriage to his Catholic wife, and they were steadfast friends. And um, uh, I'll I'll go on and, and continue. Um, at the end of the war, Osra and his wife were very disappointed when they heard that Father Capon was dead. Um, and Osra said that he prayed for Father Capon's intercession, thinking that if anybody's in heaven, it's him. Uh, when they tried to start a family, they were told that they could not conceive children. That uh, um, uh, Margaret, his wife, they said that her, her uterus was folded in such a way that she could not get that she could not be pregnant or get pregnant. Um, they started praying for Father Capon and his, his intercession. And they had three three children. 
after the third child, the doctor called them into the office and told them that each one of their children was a miracle child because it was physically impossible for Margaret to get pregnant. And uh, I mean, that, that, that was the first uh, real miracle that we were kind of looking into. But unfortunately, all of the records have been burnt in a, in a uh, fire that was there at the hospital. But it just kind of goes to show you the type of man Father Capon was, was, I mean, be, being there for everybody. And that's what he did in the personal war camp. Mm. It did not matter. I had uh, another Episcopalian man who said, it did not matter if you were Catholic, if you were Protestant, uh, if you were Muslim, if you were, were Buddhist, or he said everybody wanted to pray with Father Capon. And he said when he came by, he was just a holy man. And he said, if he offered, you prayed with him. And he mm -hmm. said he got many people through the, 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 to live through the prison war camp when it would have been very easily for, easy for them just to give up and die. But I have, I have the, to say... Yeah, I have to say, Father John, you know, just listen to his story. What it reminds me of, actually, is the example of Maximilian Kolbe, actually. It, there's, I, I can see there's a degree of, of uh, similarity in terms, yes, in terms of the story that's there. It's, and it's very, it's, it's very inspiring, I suppose. So the, he went to serve in Korea in 1950. He was part of the 8th Cavalry Regiment, uh, Cavalry Regiment um, of the Army's 1st Cavalry Division. And they were ambushed uh, at the Battle of Unsan in, on November 2nd in 1950. And he, he was part of the, uh, they were captured by, well, it was the Chinese army at the time, so captured right. by the enemy. And they were for, forced to march over 60 miles to a prison, a prison camp along the Chinese border in the bitter cold. And at the, along the way, he carried his wounded comrades and encouraged them to do this way, to do likewise. And because of his bravery of going out to give last rites and attend to the men that were being killed in that battle, he, as you said, he was awarded the, the, Mil the Medal of Honor in 2013. So then he spent seven months in the prison of war, or war camp. And so what do we know, kind of, what was the, the, the conditions like? What was he doing with the men to try and, 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 you know, that kind of is an example and kind of gives you kind of, What's the word I'm looking for? It gives you inspiration that this man is someone that we could look to as a model, as a role model, as a saint. Okay. Uh, well, when I, I talk about him serving his fellow POWs, uh, conditions were terrible in the prisoner war camp. Like I say, 65% of the people or of the men that were interred there died. Um, most of them died because they froze. Um, and most of them died that first winter. Um, they say that it was the coldest winter in Korea in the past 150 years, or since they started keeping track uh, of the temperatures. And um, in Korea, the wind just comes off of the Siberian plateau in nor northern, northern Russia. So it just comes down and follows the peninsula. So temperatures would often be between 30 and 40 degrees below zero. Um, I don't know how to convert that to Celsius. <laughs> it's, 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 it's cold. We'll, we'll just take it that it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, so he would do what he could to get uh, warm clothes. Many of the, the soldiers still had summer uniforms. Uh, I mean, when you look at the history of the, the Korean conflict, everybody assumed that the, the conflict was going to be over before Thanksgiving. Uh, so many of them did not have, have um, winter clothing. Uh, one of the first things that happened when, when men were captured uh, was the North Koreans and the Chinese would take their shoes 
uh, because their their shoes were so much better than their own. Uh, so many of them just had whatever they could find to wrap around their feet to keep their feet from freezing. Um, uh, conditions were were dire at at best. Um, they were not given fresh water. They were given. They were on a starvation diet. Um, they were given um, uh, like 50 grams of, of millet to eat each day, uh, which is probably like a couple handfuls of this seed that they were given to eat. Uh, they weren't allowed to build fires to try to cook it or anything. So uh, their bodies would not digest the seed when it wasn't cooked um, because of the hard shell in it. Um, so not only were they uh, freezing, but they are also starving. Um, Father Capon spent his life trying to correct that. I mean, he did what he could to, to uh, steal food from the, the, the bins of the, the North Koreans and Chinese uh, to, to feed the men. Um, all of the men I talked to said that he was a man of hope and that he was able to instill hope in them um, so that they wanted to live, so that they wanted to make it out of the POW camp. Um, a Dr. Essenston that was there at POW also uh, explained to me, and he said it was very easy for the men to commit suicide. Uh, he said all they had to do to commit suicide was stop picking the lice off of their bodies. Um, and he said if they did not pick the lice off their bodies and out of their clothes every day, he said they would they would be in bad shape. And he said that's how they committed suicide, was they just did not pick the lice off their body. He said the first day, he said you wouldn't notice anything. He said the second day, they would start to look a little gray or ashen. Uh, but he said they're in the prison camp on starvation diets. He said everybody started to look that way. And he said, but on the third day, he said they were just gaunt. And he said they were pale. They, he said you, you knew at that time that they had quit uh, picking the lice off their body. Uh, but he said it was already too late. He said it was too late. He said I as a doctor couldn't do anything. He said the lice would have taken over and would have taken so much blood from them. He said, there is no way they can survive. So he said, that's how they committed suicide. And it was very easy for him to do. One of his fellow POWs, um, <coughs> a man named, named Herb Miller, who was the man that he carried uh, this distance to the POW camp, said that he woke up one morning and he said he needed to get up to use the latrine. And he said, he pushed the guy on one side of him uh, to get up and he said, that man was dead. He said he was frozen. And he said, so he pushed the guy on the other side. And he said, that man was frozen dead also. And he said, he got up realizing that if it hadn't been for these two men on either side of him dying, that he would not be alive. Uh, so like I say, the conditions were, were, were terrible. Uh, Father Capon would go and help bury the dead as much as he could. Uh, when he would do that, he would take the clothes off of those that had died uh, and give the clothes to the, the uh, men that were freezing to death so that they might be better off. Um, so between trying to provide shelter for them, uh, trying to find food to, to feed them, uh, trying to find drugs that the doctors could use to help them out as they suffered from dysentery or pneumonia or whatever it is that they were suffering from, um, he was literally somebody that gave his life for somebody else. It's a it's an inspiring it's it is an inspiring story. So, in terms of where things stand at the moment, Father John. Um, so obviously, 
In terms of the formal process, so it started off, uh, Father Emil has been declared a servant of God, so that means that the, from a church point of view, we're looking into his life, his writings, his personal experiences, the witness tentatives that are there for him. Uh, I notice as well that the diocese just celebrated its 13th um, Father Capon pilgrimage, which just was on recently as well, uh, which finished on, was it last Sunday it finished? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, last so, Sunday on. Yeah. Feast of Corpus Christi. Yeah, so it's every year, hundreds of pilgrims, they, uh, they walk 60 miles to remember the heroic army chaplain. Uh, because of that, obviously, that walk uh, to the POW camp uh, as well, which is, it's, it's, it's a nice one. It ends up at Father Capon's home parish uh, in, in Marion in Kansas. So in terms, of, in terms of, you know, this morning, we're just asking you to share his story. And if people wanted to find out more about Father Emil, uh, what could they do? Um, if they have access to a computer, they can go onto the computer. Uh, we have uh, several websites. Uh, you can get there through the Diocese of Wichita website, or you could also just go directly to fathercapon.org. It's just, um, I think you can get it to either spelled out F-A-T-H-E-R, fathercapon, F-A-T-H-E-R-K-A-P-A-U-N dot O-R-G, or also the abbreviated F-R-K-A-P-A-U-N dot O-R-G. Um, there's also several groups. There's a group called Capon's Men uh, that has information on Father Capon's life. Um, they too are uh, on the, the computer. Um, so that would probably be the easiest way to find out about his life. Mm. Uh, there's been several books that have been written about him. Um, a variety of ways. To variety of ways. Yeah, there's, as you said, the, the, website, the, the websites are very impressive. Uh, the, the one from the diocese, is, 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 it's nice, simple, easy way to navigate. There's some links and resources, particularly to a book, small booklet, which is a PDF, as well as some uh, documentary. The, Capon, the, the Capon's main website is, is quite, they've, they've taken this man to heart. Uh, there's, there's podcasts, there's video series, there's the pilgrimage. Uh, they also do a, a podcast. It's called the Foxhole Podcast, which is which is quite interesting as well. So they've they've really taken him on board and his cause and are pushing uh, pushing his the message that he he he, he has. Father John, uh, we're running. I'm afraid, as always on the program, one of our problems is time. So we're up against the clock. But if I was to say to you this morning, you know, if you were to sum up the the story of Father Emil Capon for you know, for the for for the world today, and in terms of, you know, saints are held up as models and witnesses of the faith. What would you say is the message or the example that Father Emil holds up for us in the modern world? The thing that I've always been impressed with with Father Capon is going back to our what we were talking about that he's just a Kansas farm boy, and he was born with nothing had nothing throughout his life. He was able to do great things, miraculous things, with what he'd been given. Um, and I think that is a perfect example or a perfect sign to each and every one of us that each and every one of us can be a saint also. Because we have the example of Father Capon, who had nothing, and, be, and well, God's, willing, uh, God's will be done, I mean, become a saint. Uh, but we have that opportunity before us also. There probably isn't a person listening here on the, the radio that does not have more than what Father Capon did. Um, so if we use our resources as Father Capon used his resources, we too can be that saint. Father John Hotsey, uh, thank you so much this morning for joining us all the way from Kansas. 
we're delighted to have you on the program. So to close out this part of the program, uh, one suggested piece of music that we were given is actually Fate of Our Fathers. So we're going to listen to that now and then we'll move on to part three of the program. Father John, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Children's <laughs> 